God said to Paul, I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. Now, Paul perhaps was a little bit concerned about his safety. It was, as I said, a wicked and a dangerous place in Corinth. But God essentially says here, as long as I have a job for you to do, I will take care of you there. Now, that's a little bit of a paraphrase of what God said. But he said, I've got a lot of people still in this city who need to hear and need to be saved. And so you don't have to worry about your safety. Listen, the safest place you can be is inside the will of God. You just better make sure, and I better make sure, that we stay in the middle of the will of God. And not just assume that we're there. It takes an awful lot of surrendering, an awful lot of spirit-led soul-searching to know that we are in God's will. That's not the message tonight. But God says, I have much people in this city. I want to make a point out one thing before I get into the heart of what I want to share with you tonight. But that is this. Paul was called to be a preacher on the move. A pastor is called to be a preacher whose feet are planted. Now, it's not that one is right and what is wrong. I'll tell you one thing that we have got to figure out as believers is that God can call different people to do different things. And God can call, and this, I know probably some folks would get upset at me for, for, for thinking this way, but God can call different people to see things differently in order to accomplish things differently. There are people who do things, preachers who do things that, that I would never do. But it's because God has called me whether you would say he's called me to see things in a certain way or he has called me knowing that I see things a certain way. I don't know which it is. But there's folks who see things, see life in general very differently that God has called them to do some things. And I don't really want to go down that road tonight. But we need to come to understand because, hey, we get so wrapped up in comparing ourselves with other Christians and believers and how they do it. And we get wrapped up in trying to figure out who's doing it right. Us or that guy over there is doing it very differently than we are. And he's the guy about whom I say God may he may see God may have called him knowing that he sees things very differently. Why would he do that? Because he's seeing things very differently is going to reach some people that I'll never reach. And I'm going to reach some people that he'll never reach. So let him answer to God, Romans chapter 14, let him answer to God for the way he uh, fulfills his call. And I'll answer to God for the way I fulfill God's call. And I really don't have time to sit around critiquing and judging him. The only time I'm going to waste any time worrying about that guy is when he starts to interfere with you. And what God has called me to do. Well, then 
then we have a problem. We've had that problem before where, where folks come in here and they think it's their calling to come in here and disrupt things here. And that's, that's when I will take action. But as long as he stays where he is, I got no time to fool with him or dispute him. I may warn you once in a while, hey, stay away. I won't name him, but I'll, I'll, I'll talk about what he does. All right, there I go getting off track again, turning a short sermon into a long one. But let me go back to talking about Paul. Listen carefully. This is an important point. I need to quit losing it. Uh, God called Paul to be on the move. God called me and pastors like me to go somewhere and stay. And neither one of us is right or wrong as long as we're following God's call. So, God would need to give Paul a reason to stay in a place, right? Because Paul's calling was to keep moving, go to the next city, win souls, start a church, get them going, go to the next city. That's what Paul's ministry was. So if God wanted Paul to stay somewhere for a while, he would have to call him to do that. He would have to say, now, wait, Paul, this, I want you to dig some roots here for a little bit. I, on the other hand, since I have been called to go and stay, would need God to call and tap my shoulder and say, all right, bro, time to get going. I'm going to put you over here. And God knows how to do that. And don't worry, I'm not setting you up to announce my resignation tonight. That's not the point. But I want you to see my philosophy of the ministry is God put me here. And the only time that I have ever, in, in 24 years of pastoring, ever considered moving on, is in 2004, it was right this time of year. In fact, it was um, 14 years ago yesterday because it was, it was my mother's birthday. It was Wednesday night, September 15th, that Pastor Brian Miller came and preached for us in Brewster. So it was 14 years ago yesterday that Brian Miller said to me, uh, you're an idiot, and I remember it. When you call me an idiot, I remember the day. But um, for not considering... Heritage Bible Church, when they had called and asked me if, if we would consider merging. But it was during that time, it was during those weeks right in there that I said something to my wife that I've never said before, never had said before, I've never said since. Not only had we not had a visitor in many weeks, which is, as you know here, it's rare and it was rare then. We hadn't had anybody saved in many, many weeks. That was rare then. It's very rare now to have a week go by where no one trusts Christ. And the really rare thing is that since I was about 14 years old, God had taught me stuff from his word. And I want to tell you, that stretch right there, I could not get a truth to preach to save my life. And I just knew something had dried up, and I said to Amy, you know what? I said, I think maybe, maybe we're done here. I'd never considered that possibility before. And the truth is, we were. And God was moving us to, uh, from Brewster to Danbury. It wasn't a long trip, but it was a trip from Brewster to Danbury. I'm saying to you that uh, God would have to tell Paul to stay. But my calling is the exact opposite, where if he needed, wanted me to move, he'd have to get my attention to get me to move, because I intend to die here. Now, 
What I want to share with you tonight, I, this to me, it may not motivate you, but man, it motivates me. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because I want you to uh, see that what I'm going to give to you, even though it sounds like preacher talk, it's for all of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 20. The context of 1 Corinthians 12 is where God's talking about the body. And you've heard this before, you know, uh, verse 14 the body is not one member, but many of the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? You've heard that before. And maybe the culmination of the text is verse number 20. And I want you to read verse 20 out loud with me. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20. Ready? But now are they many members, yet but one body. Let's read that again. But now are they many members, yet but one body. All right, I'm just going to say this once. I'm going to say it quickly. When the Bible talks about the church, I believe it is in our best interest, unless the text, the context says otherwise, it is in our best interest to see the Bible is talking about the local church. Now, there is a sense in which there is one church body worldwide, but when it comes to talking about interaction in the church, the Bible, to me, very clearly is talking about the local church. As soon as you start interpreting it as a some universal body, well, then you can find verses that give authority from one local church to come over and start telling another local church how to do things. And that is, it, autonomy of the church is a Baptist distinctive. You say, what makes Baptists different from anybody else? One of the things that makes us different is we believe in the autonomy of the church, that we are an independent body, and nobody outside of this body of believers has any right to tell us what we can and cannot do or should and should not do. We can bring an evangelist in who gives us advice and instruction, but I'm talking about there's, we're not going to get a letter from any church hierarchy that's going to say, you need to reconfigure your auditorium because we said so. And if we got that letter, we'd throw it in the garbage. Why? Because we're an independent church. We believe in the autonomy of the local church, and that is, a, that is one of the things that makes Baptist churches distinct from other Christian churches or beliefs. All right. So having said that, we're going to take this verse and understand that it's talking about the local body. It's applying to our church. And when the church down the street, the Bible-believing church down the street or down the street this way, um, had to be a long street this way, but anyway, uh, down the street this way or this way, uh, when they read that, they need to apply it to themselves. That now are they many members but one body. We are one body here. So why did I take you over there? Because I want you to understand that with the statements I'm about to give you, it may sound like I'm talking about me, but I'm talking about us. Because everything we do, we do as a team. Every success that we have is a team success. And even though you may not be a part of a particular ministry, your prayers for the body contribute to that success. 
Your tithes and offerings contribute to that success. Friday night, they kicked off the, the uh, teen year with uh, a great teen meeting. Had a great group of teenagers and a great meeting. Well, you may not be a part of the teen ministry here, but that's, a, that's your success. The Sunday dinner is a tremendous success. You may have never been to one of them, never been able to serve in any of them, but that's your success because you're a part of the team. And you name the ministry, RU, and RU succeeds, and they succeed every week when they, when they uh, succeed in the work of the Lord. You're, that's your success because we work as a team. We work as a team. And by the way, one of my great responsibilities to make sure we keep on working as a team, the Bible word phrase is one accord. One accord. When somebody comes in here and wants to start building their own separate empire within our church, Mm, going to pray you out of here. Or if you really get persistent, going to send you out of here. Why? Because we're a team. Don't let anybody threaten the team effort. So when I say I'm going to give you some statements, I'm going to give you a lot of statements here. Once I get rolling, it should go pretty quick. I want you to understand that even though I'm speaking in the first person, because I see this as applying to me, I hope you'll see it as applying to you. I hope you'll see it as applying to your church, your life. Hey, by the way, your ministry. You have a ministry. You know that, right? You have a ministry. God said, I have much people in this city. I want to talk to you for just a few more minutes now about this city. First of all, I serve in this city because God has called me to serve in this city. Now, I have to stop and comment on that. You can count on that one right there. Why? Because when I was a boy, and even into my adulthood, Danbury meant one thing, shopping. The older you are, the more you'll recognize, of course, of course, there's the mall. But when I was a boy, the mall wasn't there. When you drove on 84 past where the mall is, you saw a stock car racetrack. Yeah. But they built that mall while I was in college. Anyway, but I'll tell you what was here. Where Kohl's is now was Caldor's. Where Walmart is was Bradley's. I still can be standing in line at the register at Walmart, and I'll get flashbacks to Bradley's. Because they really, you know, a lot of times Walmart comes, they just start and they build from scratch, but all they did was, like, do a makeover on Bradley's there, and that's Walmart. Anyway, remember, you stand in line at Bradley's, and there'd be, like, a little food area in front of you. And I don't think ever we got any food from the food area. but, But anyway, there was Bradley's. And then... And this will be the second time today I've used this phrase. The bane of my existence was reeds. I hated reeds. Reeds. Uh, Again, I guess if you're 35 or under, maybe even a little older than that, there was no, uh, well, Bob's isn't even there anymore, is it? Bob's closed, yeah. But there there was no Home Depot over there. It was just this big, horrible haunted uh, brick building called Reeds. 
And it was, it, and the only good thing in Reed, there was two good things in Reed's. There was, uh, there was a nice restaurant upstairs where I would get peanut butter and jelly and put potato chips in between them and my sandwich. And then the other one was my, was the candy counter where, uh, if I was with my grandfather, my mother's father, um, he, if, if he ever said, oh, I'm going off shopping, if, if, if it was me and my mother, my grandparents shopping and my grandfather wanted to go off, I was going with him. Why? Cause he was going to the candy counter. And he'd go to the candy counter, and he'd get what he want, and then he'd give me what I want and say, this is so you don't tell your mother your grandmother that we went to the candy counter because he wasn't allowed to eat at the candy counter. But sad to say, I didn't. my grandparents weren't always with us when we went to Reed's, and so it was just a nightmare because all it was is clothes, and I can still hear the screeching of the, of the hangers against the, you know, you know that sound, kids. Kids know that sound. Then there was the other horror house in Danbury, and that was, and I can't remember which was first. It was same store, two names. At one point it was called Janung's, and then I think Howland's. Was it Janung's first and Howland's later? God have mercy. Howland's. I got in trouble in Howland's one time for playing hide-and-seek in the clothes. It's just horrible. So, Outside of that, there was never any reason to come to Danbury. And so Danbury meant shopping. So the, the, the only way I was possibly going to pastor in Danbury, I'm a New Yorker. I live in New York. Uh, and the only way I was going to come to Danbury was if God called me. And what do you know, 2005, he did. So, well, now I've got 50 points tonight. That was the first one. I better not get that sidetracked on every other point or we're going to be here for a long time. I serve in this city because God has called me to serve in this city. It's very important. There's no other city exactly like this city. That's not just a rah-rah statement. There's no two cities in the world that are alike. So we're going to do some things here that nobody else has tried anywhere else. Because that's the way that God wants us to reach this city. And by the way, some people are going to do some things in other places that are going to be unique, and I've never heard of that before. I don't have to do it because they do it over in that city. Now, if it's just plain old soul winning, yes, yes, I have to do that because that's a, that's a Bible uh, stipulation. We've got to give the gospel to every creature. But I'm just talking about certain methods. I remember we had uh, one time, a, and here I go getting sidetracked on point number two, but they'll start to roll in a minute. But... Um, we had, we had one time, we've had many times, but this particular time, we had a, a very, very uh, um, good soul winner here on a night when we were going out soul winning, and he went out with us. And, and he was good, and he's very good, but, but he's, from, he's from the South. He's from the deep, deep South. And, you know, it's just a different climate. So he was Joey's soul winning partner that night. Well, Joey hit the door the way that we had trained him to. We have a specific way that I train people to go door-to-door here. And uh, the the idea is, and it only took me a few thousand doors to figure this out, is that I was forcing people to close the door on me. And so all these people had a bad taste in their mouth. So I decided I'm going to end the visit. I will decide when this visit is over.
I will walk away from this door with them standing there holding the track saying, wow, he walked away from me. I didn't have to close the door in his face. And so I began to train our soul winners that way, keeping their eyes wide open for that person that is ready to hear. But I am not going to go out and hit 100 doors and force 100 people to close the door on me and end the conversation and leave a bad taste in the mouth of 100 people. I'm going to do that. I'm going to end the conversation. And I'm going to leave the very good possibility that after I walk away, they'll read the tract. So, this, this, and he, he is an excellent soul winner. I'm not criticizing him in any way. But he wasn't used to going soul winning in the Northeast. So he went out with Joey. And Joey did exactly what I trained him to do. And Joey's walking away, and this guy goes, wait, 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 wait. And Joe said, what? He goes, we didn't witness to her. And Joe said, I didn't see any sense that she wanted to be witnessed to. And so he said, oh, I got I to talk to everybody. So he opened the door, started to witness to the lady. She slammed the door in his face. <laughs> now, I'm not criticizing that guy. I'm telling you where he's from. Probably you do witness to every single person. Here you don't. Because if you try to, you make, you make a whole lot of enemies. And we're, I'm thinking about next time. I, I may have caught this person on a bad day today, but I'll catch them on a good day next time maybe. And so I'm saying there's no other city exactly like this city. By the way, if somebody says, well, I don't think you should do it that way. Well, you answer to God for your city, I'll answer to God for mine. But I'll say to you, there's not a whole lot of churches in the northeastern United States that have saturated their city like we have. I'm not, we don't have the biggest congregation on the planet, but sometimes just go on vacation, visit a few churches, and see we're doing a pretty good job when you're talking about soul-winning churches. Point number three. <laughs> I'm, this is not going well. Uh, point number three. God knows every person in this city who will be saved. God has a unique plan for his work in this city. I'll tell you something. God knows. uh, The Bible calls God the Lord of the harvest. God knows that some fields will yield large congregations. God also knows that some fields will yield maybe not as huge a congregation, but some pretty solid laborers. Different fields have different purposes. God knows God has a unique plan for his work in this city. God knows what he wants to accomplish in this city. Every person in this city was created in the likeness of God. God loves every person in this city. Jesus died. For every person in this city. Every person in this city has a story. Every person in this city has hurts. Every person in this city has dreams. Every person in this city needs someone to pray for them. Every person in this city needs a church family. How many times have I seen some heartache in the news or come across some heartache just in general in public and thought to myself, that poor person has no church family. They have nobody praying for them. 
They have nobody that they can just come and weep and we'll weep with them. Every person in this city needs a church family. I must find a way to get the gospel to every person in this city. Every person in this city needs to know the name of Jesus Christ. And far secondary to that, but still very important, every person in this city needs to know the name of our church. Not for popularity's sake, not for fame's sake, but so that they know that God has a presence here. I must be consumed with connecting the people of this city to God. The people of this city must know that our church is a place of hope. I must look for the people in this city who are looking for God. Now, I hope as you're listening to me, I hope that you're hearing not just the pastor talking about the city of Danbury, but you thinking about the city where God has placed you. So I don't live in Danbury. God has called you to a church that's in the city of Danbury. By the way, if this church succeeds in Danbury, it will affect the town where you live. I'm called to pastor everybody in this city. Now, every person in this city. Now, we can throw that statement around. That has been a driving principle, a guiding principle for me for many years. That you don't have to walk inside these walls for me to be your pastor. You don't have to visit our church one time for me to be your pastor. My wife, when she goes shopping, if she gets, a, or anywhere, but if she, especially, I'm, I'm talking about in just her day-to-day interactions, if she gets a conversation going, a lot of times people want to know, why are you so dressed up? Where are you going? And she said, uh, you know, I live dressed up. This is, this is my life. And that often leads to her telling people that she's a pastor's wife. And she will bring that conversation in a very short amount of time to the place where she can say this. You know, where do you go to church? Oh, you don't go to church? If you ever need a pastor, you have one. And she'll give them the church track. And she has places that she frequents where the people will bring up. And I've met some of them. I was just in a store two weeks ago where the, uh, the lady at the register said, uh, uh, she said, oh, you're, you're Amy's husband. I said, yeah. And I'm sure she recognized me because Amy had told her what a fantastically attractive man I was. So she instantly said, that must be Amy's husband. But, uh, no, she said, you're Amy's husband. And it was late at night. There were very few people there. And so she said to the, the uh, person bagging, she said, hey, this is, this is my, my friend's husband. He's, he's, he's my pastor. Well, she's never been to our church. See, and uh, by the way, also multiplied by the, the Sunday dinner and the radio broadcast and, and these various things, those are not intended to be tools to put people in this room. If they do, marvelous, that's fine, but that's not the objective. The purpose of those ministries and every other one that God opens the door to is that we have the opportunity as a team to serve our city, whether people come here or not. 
So it's on. That's that's what I mean when I say I am called to pastor every person in this city. Oh, I, I hope that you're taking this seriously tonight. This is our purpose. These are some of the things next to you and your marriage, your children, your family, and how you raise them. Next to that, I believe that you will be judged and rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ on what I'm preaching right now, perhaps more than anything else. Next to your fa- your family is your first ministry. But next to that, I believe everybody needs to have a ministry outside of their home. And it's going to be at your church. And if the ministry of our church is the people of the city of Danbury, that makes it your ministry. And so whatever you can do to contribute, you have a stake in impacting this city. I'm called to pastor every person in this city. I must use every tool and resource available to impact this city for Christ. Hey, I may not like, or you may not like, Facebook. But Facebook is a powerful tool to get the word out to people. Brother Zach spoke on that at the Quad State Sunday School Conference last week. It was amazing. It's amazing what he knows. But it's amazing what a powerful tool social media is to get the word out to get the gospel into homes. I drive past homes and I'm praying as I go down the street and I think they're not even going to let me through that front gate, let alone through their door. But Zach can get in there through Facebook. I must use every tool and resource available to impact this city for Christ. It's my job to reach the poor in this city. It's my job to reach the working class in this city. It's my job to reach the wealthy in this city. It's my job to reach adults in this city. It's my job to reach teenagers in this city. It's my job to reach children in this city. It's my job to reach the homeless in this city. It's my job to reach the addicts in this city. It's my job to reach every community. In this city. And when I say every community, I, I guess I primarily mean every ethnicity. There are, there are a number, large number, of ethnic communities in our city that we have not even begun to impact for Christ. And we have a responsibility to get into those communities and impact them for Jesus Christ. Listen to this statement. I should know the streets of this city as well as any taxi driver does. I must pray through every street of this city. I may not be the only pastor called to this city, but I am responsible for the call that God has given me. The people in this city should know that our church is a house of prayer. I want my life to show the love, the joy, and peace of a spirit-filled life to this city. I want this city to know there's a church where people truly love God. I want this city to know there's a church where people care about people. I want this city to know that there's a church where God meets with His people. I want this city to know that God still answers prayer. I want this city to know there's a church where you can still raise a strong family. 
I want this city to know there's a church where the people still believe in right and wrong. I want this city to know that there's a church where the people still strive to know the Bible. I want this city to know there's a church where the people still love America. This city is my mission field, my focus, my passion, my life. I am called to reach this city for Jesus Christ. And I've got to make sure that there's a strong New Testament church in this city. I need to stay so busy reaching this city that I don't have time to judge how anybody else is doing reaching their city. I want to make God a prominent part of the culture of this city. I've only got two more points. We're almost done. We're great on time. So let me stop right there. Just make this comment. As I travel to other places in this country, and I see how God is entrenched in the cultures of other regions in America, my heart just aches for that to be true here. I'm talking about where people talk about God. I told you when, last time we came back from Arkansas, but I'll tell it again, that um, Amy and I were, we had come out of church on Sunday night. And I believe I told you that between where we were staying and where the church was, there was five Baptist churches in between where we were staying and where, where the service was. And they all had buildings three times the size of ours. And their pocket, their pocket, their parking lots were all full on Sunday night. And the town's population is about half of what ours is. So we went to church. We got out of church. We're, we're going back from the church to, and I haven't, I didn't plan to tell this story, so I got to think it through as I go. We got, we get in line. We get up to the window to pay at McDonald's. And the guy, for some reason, he's at the window, and it's, it's like he's at a car window. You know, I was at a car window, but he's like, he's like this on the, on the window. And so, a teenage kid. And so, I pull up, and uh, I place my order. He says, it's going to be a few minutes on whatever it was, the fries. or You know what? By the way, let me just say this. I love McDonald's, and they've made me the man that I am today. But if you – they say that they've got the all-day breakfast – if you order a breakfast sandwich late in the day, they're going to do that thing where they say, could you pull up there? Because they're not, they're not making them all day. So, so I, I think they need to get their act together on that one. But anyway, whatever it was, it may have been like a sausage McMuffin or something. He said, he's, he's, he said oh, that's, that's going to be a few minutes. And I said, okay. So then he got that awkward. He's sitting there. I'm sitting there. Amy's in the dry, passenger seat. And he goes, how is church tonight? <laughs> I said, how did you know I went to church? He said, because everybody goes to church on Sunday night here. Wow. And my heart just sunk, and I thought, man, when I, when I go someplace dressed up here, what do they ask us? You've been to a funeral? You've been to a party? That's what I mean when I say I want to make God a prominent part of the culture in this city. And by the way, we can. And we should never give up on the dream of making God a prominent part of the culture in this city. 
I want this city, and this is based on a Bible verse, I want this city to be known as the city where God is. I didn't plan to go here, but we're doing so good on time. Let me go another half an hour. Ezekiel 48, verse 35. It was round about 18,000 measures in the name of the city from that day shall be. The Lord is there. Now, I know that verse is not talking about Danbury. But I got to tell you, I was praying. Remember, we were doing, and I still do it, but we were doing as a church, praying the boundaries of the city a few years ago. And as I drove, I was praying, Lord, I pray that the day will come when people will talk about Danbury, Connecticut, and say, Danbury, Connecticut, that's where God is. And I had read this verse before because I've read through the Bible dozens of times. But it never struck me before. But it was while I was praying that routinely that I came across this statement. The name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. And so it's with that verse in mind that I say I want this city to be known as the city where God is. And my very last statement, and we'll pray. I will serve this city until God tells me to leave. Father, I pray tonight that you'd